Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Mm. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it's an optimal situation or a compromised situation, life has its seasons and its cycles. You might not be where you want to be, but maybe where you are now is a necessary stop on the place where you want to get to. Whether you're entering into the path of ministry for the first time or starting a new profession, it's easy to get discouraged when our grand hopes of what we imagine life will be like are dashed upon the rocks of life's harsh realities. So how do we avoid burnout? How do we navigate the landscapes of loneliness and displacement? How do we learn to adjust our expectations with each season of life and bring our very best to every circumstance? On this podcast episode of Advent Next, we are continuing our discussion with David Ashrick as he gives young leaders advice on how to weather both the heartaches and joys of growing into our calling. If you're not already following us on Facebook and Instagram, you can find us at the handle at Advent Next. Joining me as my co-host is Max Aka, and I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is Advent Next. So I, I kind of want to, you know, and we talked a little bit about this on the first episode, um, but kind of looking at, you know, your ministry right now, you're kind of living kind of the optimal ministry life. Mm. And some people might be someplace where they're in a church of 20 people. Right. Uh, they don't feel like they're they're living their optimal life. Um, what would you say to those young pastors or even just professionals who feel like they're not quite where they want to be in life? Wow. Um, This is a question that I've wrestled with a lot because I am absolutely mindful, Kendra, of the fact that I live a bit of a charmed life. Um, I'm in a good situation where I can kind of decide what it is I want to do and where I want to do it and who I want to do it with. I have an incredible wife and two beautiful kids. So I get it, right? Like I realize I'm in a situation in ministry that is very different to some situations. Now, there are lots of other people that have great ministry situations too. I'm not, mm. I'm not exceptional in that regard. But there are others that are just pastoring three church, four church districts, 200 miles you know, between churches. Um, my home state of Wyoming is one of those places where you have churches that are you know, here, and then you drive 100 miles, then here, and then on a triangle, 50 miles here. So And it's not the distance, really, that makes those situations difficult. It's the fact that you often find yourself in these churches where maybe the town itself is not going very well economically, the world has kind of moved on, and the church is still sort of sometimes stuck in that same place of, it would have been a great church 40 years ago or 30 years ago. And a lot of times what happens is they put young pastors in these young, idealistic, passionate pastors, and they want to sort of the, you know, conference administrators want them to cut their teeth in these difficult churches, but it often creates this sort of difficult mixture because they're young and they're passionate and they're idealistic and they're a different generation. And then they go into these churches and it creates, I think in some circumstances, unnecessary conflict because you have what might be an older church and a more traditional church. And so, yeah, it's tricky. It is tricky. And I want to concede that I know that. But what I would say is basically... Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Mm. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it's an optimal situation or a compromised situation, life has its seasons and its cycles. Mm. And I'm 47 years young right now. Notice I said young. 47 years young, not 47 years old. But I'm in the situation that I'm in, in part, because 
for lack of a better term, and this will make me sound really old and, and really traditional, but I, I paid my dues, mm-hmm. right? Like I did Bible work for years and years and years, and I made next to nothing, and I lived in people's houses. My, my oldest son, Landon, who's 18 years old now, was born in Atlanta when we were living in somebody else's house, a dear sister that we just met, Jody Bowen. Like wow. my son was born there. Wow. And so... Yeah, that was a different situation. No stability. We weren't conference employees. So everybody sort of has their journey into ministry. We were talking a little bit about your journey, UCLA, and you said you had a circuitous path, which is great. So we all sort of have our journeys, and you find yourself in those seasons and in those cycles where you might not be where you want to be, but maybe where you are now is a necessary stop on the place where you want to get to. Mm-hmm. You follow me? Yeah. Um, Gregory Boyd, the evangelical theologian, says, we make our decisions and then our decisions make us. Right. Mm. And sometimes you have to make decisions today that are less than optimal, or maybe other people make decisions for you, less than optimal situations in terms of your career, your desire, your passion, where you want to live, what you want to do. But maybe you're trying to get somewhere. Mm. And we don't all just get to decide, hey, I'm 26 years old, I'm freshly out of school, whether it's in ministry or in some other area, and I just want my best life. Yeah. Right. I want to be paid, great, I want to live where I want to live, I want... It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. You got to kind of pay your dues. And so if it's a ministry context, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, do it with excellence, get in there. Don't... What I would say, and this is just a little word of caution... Yeah. Don't go into churches that have a sort of traditional format and a traditional feel and maybe a slightly older constituency. I'm speaking now to some of these younger ministers. Don't go in and feel like you have to completely reform these situations. Right. Right. Go in there and be a servant. Mm. Mm-hmm. Go in there and be a minister without a strong ideological agenda or methodological agenda. Go in there and love these people like Jesus loves them mm-hmm. and find your feet in ministry. Right. Yeah. And then doors will open, opportunities will open, and before you know it, you'll blink and be 30, you'll blink and be 40, and you will be setting up the opportunity to, as you say, find yourself in a better situation, mm. a more optimal situation. Not that those others are bad, but we all have those seasons of growth and becoming the best versions of ourselves, I think, sometimes involves being in situations that we would not have chosen. Yeah. 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 And, and and even some of our metrics of success aren't thank you. Uh, aren't tailored correctly. We, Correct. We live in a society where we measure success by followers or members yes. or baptisms or however it is. So what is your metrics of success? How would how do you kind of set, you know, the clock back or, or, or put the metrics right? I, I like that. I've I've preached a sermon and done a seminar recently on this very subject. Mm. And I've introduced this idea, this rubric that I call the X to 10 fallacy. Mm. And uh, if you want to find out more, you can go on our YouTube channel and find the sermon, uh, which is Kingscliff uh, YouTube channel, Kingscliff Church YouTube channel. Find the sermon that's called How to Speak to Anyone About Jesus. Mm. And in that, I talk about this idea of X to 10. So here's the idea. If you have one to 10 and one is completely irreligious or even hostile to religion, and then you have a spectrum, a continuum, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, and 10 is you know, baptized, member, follower, lover of Jesus, spirit-filled Christian, right? And so all along that continuum, you have increasing degrees of interest in being a follower of Jesus, right? So what we do as a church and what we do as an organization, and I understand that there's a certain sense in which this is necessary, 
We want metrics. We want to know, hey, look, that pastor is successful. She's doing a good job. He's baptizing people. Their tithe is up. And the metrics that we have basically organizationally are more or less attendance, baptisms, tithe. Mm. That's pretty much it, right? There's a few other metrics, but that's more or less, those are your metrics. The problem is, is that those are not anywhere near the only meaningful metrics of success, right? right. right? There's lots of metrics, of metrics of success. So for example, let's say that you meet somebody who's at, on our sort of spectrum here, a four. Mm. They're not totally hostile to religion, but they're open, but maybe it's a Christian faith, maybe it's not a Christian faith or whatever, and they're your neighbor, they're your brother-in-law, they're um, somebody who has decided to send their child to your Adventist school because it's close, whatever it might be. And through the course of time and friendship and connection, you get to know them, they come to your house, you have dinner, you hang out, you've connected with them, and before you know it, a year in, two years into your relationship, they might now be better identified as a six, hmm. right? They've, they've transitioned and now they would say something maybe more like this. Yeah, there definitely is something out there and I believe in a God. I'm not quite sure exactly what it's like, but I think Jesus was a really great guy right. and he might've been onto something. Yeah. Okay, so here's the point. You have moved somebody from a four, an imaginary four to a six, right? You get the idea. People are moving along the continuum toward a saving relationship with Jesus. Yeah. How do you measure that? Hmm. You don't. And there's nobody in an office or in a union or conference or division office that can sit down and say, yeah, look at that, look at that, look at that. So too often what we do is we look at metrics that are sort of post-harvest, they're um, post-facto metrics. They're not those metrics that are leading people to the place where they're ready to make a decision. They're very impersonal. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Impersonal and distant. They're, they're, they're separated from context. They're separated from experience. And but well said, Max. And here's the thing. This doesn't mean that those are bad metrics. No. But what we've done is we've said, these are the metrics. Right. right. But the truth of the matter is, is there are all kinds of ways that people are moving toward Jesus, and we shouldn't be tricked into thinking that only the measurable ones are the meaningful ones. Right. Yeah. No, there's lots of meaningful ways that people can be advanced toward Jesus, toward scripture, toward a relationship with their creator that we might not be able to measure on a data sheet or on a spreadsheet or in some report. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to me for my metrics, I know this is going to sound maybe a little facile and and not people aren't going to love it, but for me, it's personal faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Have I done my best? Have I studied? Did I communicate as clearly as I could? Did I stay connected with Jesus in prayer? Did I love those people? Did I go after the sermon, after the presentation? Did I go down and meet them? I'll tell you what we say in our local church. People will often ask, how many evangelistic meetings in your Kingscliff church? I've been there for the last almost six years. How many evangelistic meetings have you done when you've been there? Hmm. How many do you do a year? And I say, in our local church, we do 52 evangelistic meetings a year, every Sabbath. Hmm. Right? Rather than having evangelism as an event or evangelism as something that we schedule into the calendar, we view the whole of what we're doing as an opportunity for people to come in off the streets, seekers, and have a point of access to Jesus that doesn't require a learning curve. Yeah. It doesn't require familiarity with our language, with our culture, uh, with our organization. They can come in and learn about Jesus. Yeah. So we build our church services around getting people access to Jesus. Right. Mm. 
And that's not always measurable. Right, right. Right? It's just not. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a, a incredibly helpful point. You know, mm. we've got to stop looking at maybe just those hard numbers and realize people are on a, continu- a continuum. Of, of that's things. a good way to say it, a continuum. Yeah. I, I'm curious because I know whether it's a person who's coming into a conversion or whether they're a minister who's kind of out on the field, I think something a lot of people feel or deal with is loneliness. And sometimes loneliness can lead to depression, uh, especially in a conversion story where maybe this person is leaving their friends and their and their family and things that are familiar, and they're entering into the wilderness journey. Wow. Or if you are a minister who you're entering maybe to a place that you've never been before, you don't have any friends or roots, and they're starting to deal with loneliness, they might have some onsets of depression. You know, have you ever dealt with that? And, and how? what would your recommendation be on how to navigate those seasons? Well, I'm not a very lonely person, uh, just me, mm-hmm. and I'm not a very depressed person, but I will say this. I'm going to circle back to that. I want to say this. I grew up in a home where my mother was diagnosed with what used to be called manic depressive disorder, now called bipolar. So I grew up, my normal was that my mom would be in these periods of swinging between you know, these manic phases where she would be cleaning the house and doing really well and things are going incredible. And then she'd go into these lows, these long lows, lots of sleeping, lots of sadness, lots of depression. And so I am keenly aware that depression is a real thing. It's not just a, hey, you're gonna be all right, everything's gonna be fine. There are actual diagnosable conditions. I mean, the brain is the most complex thing known of in the universe, right? It's incredible. And just the slightest chemical imbalance can create a misfiring or a, you know, uh, a, a brain that's just not functioning optimally. And so, there's two kinds, I think, of loneliness and depression. There's the diagnosable kind and the kind that needs medical treatment, right? Needs intervention from a professional. And I've seen that in my own family. And then I think there's just those sort of seasons of life that we all go through where we just think, man, I, I'm not feeling connected. Mm. I, I'm away from my home. I'm away from... I mean, I can somewhat relate to this. I have been in Australia. Now, this is going to sound really... Forgive me for this, but... You know, Australia is a paradise in so many ways. It's incredible. Like, I love living there. We've been there for the last six years. The people are beautiful. The place is beautiful. It's incredible. However, there are still times where I miss my friends. Mm-hmm. I miss my mom. I miss my dad. My mom's going through a very difficult time right now in her health, living 8,000 miles away. Yeah. Not great. And that's hard for me. Mm-hmm. Very hard. My 77-year-old father's taking care of my mom who's had early onset Parkinson's and a lot of sort of complications. And so, yeah, there are times where I find myself thinking, this world is not my home. You know, I'm just, there's, there's a sadness that sort of, even when you're in your best moments, there's always opportunity for sadness and awareness of life and the difficulties mm-hmm. of life. I have been in seasons in my life where I have had incredible ministry situations, surrounded by an incredible team, going from strength to strength, kicking goals, you know, just, it's been awesome. And then now I'm in a season where I love my local church and I love what I'm doing, but I certainly miss being around Ty and uh, Ty Gibson and Jeffrey Rosario and Yamil Rosario and Nathan Renner, like these are my people. And while I wouldn't call it outright loneliness because I've got some real connections in Australia, I do sometimes feel a little displaced. Mm. And I think we all feel that way. Mm. Just like, man, I wish I was fill in the blank. And I think we just have to be mindful that again, life has its seasons and life has its, like we talked about early on, you might just have to 
be paying your dues, so to speak, so you can create a better situation going forward. Mm. One of the things that I've been really committed to in my ministry is surrounding myself with a team. I, I just don't have that drive or that desire to be the guy. Right. You know, to be the number one, to be the one that everybody's looking up to, the megachurch pastor, that just doesn't appeal to me on any level. Mm. I've always been with a team, surrounded by a team. I love being challenged by people in the room who yeah. inspire me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like being the smartest guy in the room. I heard somebody say recently, if, you're the, if you work in a place and you're the smartest person in the room, find a different room, mm. right? You need people that challenge you, that will hold you accountable, that you can look up to. And I've always been about that in my ministry. And so those seasons of loneliness for me, if that's even the right language, seasons of displacement mm-hmm. have been fairly few and far between for me because I've really just decided to arrange my ministry life around situations that I know will help me to function best. Right. And for me, that's always team-based. Right. Yeah, and that's a healthy decision to make, to realize we don't always have to stay in situations that are not healthy for our optimal growth. No, that's exactly right. And and, and in those seasons of displacement where you're, you're doing what you want to do, mm. um, how, how do you navigate that with the Lord? Like, what are some things that, that help to kind of really bring peace in those situations? Mm. No, I like that. One of the things I tell people a lot is it's not, it's not where you are, it's who you are, mm. right? Wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. yeah. We sometimes, I think, fall into, and we all do this, we fall into the mentality that if I had that, my life would be better. If I was there, my life would be better. If only fill in the blank things would... I'm not so sure. Yeah. I think, you know, like the Apostle Paul says there, what is that, Philippians 3 or 4, I've learned whatever state I am in therewith to be content. I know how to abase and how to abound. We need to get to the place where Jesus is enough. Mm. Right, Jesus is enough. If you get more than that, if you get an incredible ministry situation in a great church, in a perfect location, hey, praise God. Mm-hmm. But if you find yourself in a less than optimal situation and life is hard and the church is fighting you at every step and the conference is saying, we want you to do X, Y, Z, and it's not what you feel called to do, listen, that's not great. But if you've got Jesus, you've got enough. Yeah. And, and on that, I, I do want to say, I think that too often ministers find themselves at the mercy of the conference or the union. Mm. And I I don't want to sound like I'm being, you know, rebellious here or that I'm encouraging dissent or anything like that, but I often encourage young ministers and I say, listen, you have more leverage than you think you have. You are not just at the mercy. If you have a calling and you have a passion and you have a conviction, you need to stand. That's what I did. In, In some ways people say, oh, well, you've got this privileged opportunity. Yeah, that's because I was willing to not compromise. I said, look, Mm. this is what God has called me to do. This is what I'm really passionate about. And if people want to recognize that call and and get on board with it, hey, we're going to get along great. And if not, then maybe this isn't a good fit for me or for you. Mm. And again, I'm not encouraging rebellion or any such thing, but I sometimes feel like we relate or young ministers relate to their employer, to the conference, just in a total role of subordination. Now, I think we sit down at the table and we look one another in the eye because you're called by God and I'm called by God and you're not over me, and I'm not over you, mm. and I'm not under you. We're, we're having a, I believe, as you can tell, in a really flat management style here. Right. Mm. Um, I feel like too often conference workers and, and union workers can sort of take this, well, he's just an intern, she's just an intern, and we therefore can sort of modulate and control. Mm, maybe not. Yeah. 
you know, you go into those situations and if, if you feel a strong calling, say to urban ministry or to youth ministry or to chaplaincy, whatever it might be, and you feel like the church is non-cooperative and what you know your gifting is, yeah. well, then you just might have to say, hey, look, this isn't a good fit mm-hmm. and step out into the unknown because at the end of the day, you don't an- answer to the conference. You answer to Jesus. Right. Yeah. Jesus is enough. Go with Jesus. Amen. Yeah. And, and on, that, on the same vein, you know, I think another part of what ministers or young ministers, whether you're in ministry or you're in a profession, is they experience burnout. You know, mm. they, they go hard, they go with everything. Yes. And they have all cylinders firing and then they're like, I can't do this anymore. Can't do it. So what would your recommendation be to kind of avoid that? And how have you navigated burnout? In your Thank life? you for asking that question, Kendra. <laughs> um, first of all, I've never experienced anything like burnout and I've never even been close to it. Mm. Good. And I don't say that out of pride. I say that out of this. Mm. You too can have this same experience, but here's what you have to do whether it's in, I'm going to speak specifically to the area of ministry because that's the area that I know well, but it could be in anything. You're in charge of your life. You create the situations that will bring about either positive outcomes or less than optimal outcomes, right? So when it comes to burnout, one of the reasons that people burn out is number one, they uh, in no particular order, they don't prioritize their family. Let's just start with that. Um, we are in a season right now, Violetta and myself, where we are pouring our lives into our two sons, Landon and Jabel, 18 and almost 17. I made the decision early on that I was not going to sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. One of the reasons that people burn out is they keep telling their family, just wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. You can do that for a weekend. You can do that for a week. You might even be able to do it for a month or two if there's those seasons of real busyness, but you can't do that for years. Mm. You just cannot do it. And so there needs to be times, even in ministry, where you say, hey, I'm really sorry, I'm unavailable. I'm, really, I'm just not available for that. I know it seems to be an emergency. You're just going to have to lean on Jesus. Too often, I think, in pastoral ministry, we want to, we don't want to, but we act like the Messiah rather than pointing people to the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right? You with me? Mm-hmm. So you've, you've got to prioritize your family. You've got to love your family. You've got to pour your life into your kids and into your spouse. You've got to get exercise. Number two, you've just got to. Your body is not simply a vehicle to carry your head around (laughs) to meetings, right? It's just not. Like your body, we now know, and I want to recommend an incredible book that you have to read. If you've not read it yet, you have to put this on your reading list for 2019, Spark by John Rady. And John Rady is a a neurologist at, uh, neuroscientist, I think, at Harvard University, written an incredible book basically on the new science of exercise. And the short version is this. We used to think that exercise was something that you did so you could get your big biceps and your six-pack abs and your you know, excellent cardiovascular fitness. We now know that biceps and abs and cardiovascular fitness is actually just a byproduct mm. of the real reason you exercise, mm. which is for mental acuity and strength. You exercise for your brain. Mm-hmm. Your brain is the organ that benefits most from, your, from exercise. The book is incredible. Mm. Wow. And so a lot of people, they're not taking care of their bodies. Mm. Mm. I, I've been absolutely committed, whether I'm rock climbing or fly fishing or surfing or hiking or trail running, to taking care of my body because taking care of my body is taking care of my brain, which is taking care of my mind, which is taking care of my spirit, which yeah. is taking care of my family, which is taking care of my church. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? So you just have to get, this is what I tell people, 
you have to sweat at least five times a week mm -hmm. for not less than 30 minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You just have to. Yeah. So there's that aspect. Then you got to eat well. Mm. Right. When do you want me to stop? Right. I can just go on and on. Yeah. You've got to eat well. And what I mean by eating well does not necessarily mean being a strict vegan or even a strict vegetarian. I myself am what I call veganish. Mm. Right. So I I'm. That term too. Yeah. I, good. High <laughs> yeah. five. I'm vegan in my house and I'm vegetarian in your house. Right. Right. So I go to somebody's house. I'm not making a fuss about it. But we are very intentional. I like to say it this way. It's not what you're not eating that makes you healthy. Yes. Right. It's what you're eating. Right. Yeah. So years ago, I read the book um, by Michael Pollian. Is that it? I think it's Pollan or Pollian, mm. um, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Okay, and uh, then he had another one, In Defense of Food. Mm. And he basically says seven words, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Mm. Right. That's it. Yeah. So, so just eat food, food that's actually food, not food-like substance, yeah. which a lot of the things that are out there, food-like substance. How do you know if you're eating food? So one of the best ways is you're not opening plastic, you're not opening glass, you're not opening a container. Mm. The food that is the best for you is food that is not packaged. Mm. Right. So you've got to be eating well, you've got to be exercising, you've got to be prioritizing your family. I personally encourage people to find a hobby. Find something that you love to do that gives you access to the community, that gives you access to people that's mm. fun. For me, that's rock climbing mm. and backpacking. Mm. And I love fly fishing as well. I've got my things that I love. They're skill sports. They're challenging. I also enjoy cycling, but it's not enough of a skill sport for me, road cycling. But I do enjoy it yeah. for fitness. So, so find those things, live a balanced life, get some friends and then pour yourself with all that extra energy that you've got because you're generating really a lot of energy because your brain is working better, your, your body's working better, your digestive system is working better, you're not going to burn out. Yeah, okay. Something that I think it's interesting like to observe about Adventist culture especially is that we have a health message and yet I don't know that we often enough actually have a philosophy of life, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Because like what you're presenting here is saying like investing in things that are not necessarily the next evangelistic series or the next church board meeting or whatever are ways to fuel those things. A hundred percent. And we do a really bad job. I think the in our last podcast, the, uh, the architecture one, the word utilitarianism came up wow. a number of times. And I think we fall prey to that pretty easily yep. to say like, I need to do right now what is like the most effective, efficient thing for getting ministry done. Right. Yeah. And not sharpening the tool itself. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah. Self-care. Self-care is hugely important. And we'll often lead these very compartmentalized lives where we mm -hmm. think, well, there's ministry over here and there's family over here and there's exercise over here and there's food over here. No, this is a whole Mm -hmm. Right, and something that benefits one benefits the other, and something that detracts from one detracts from the other. And I love the language you use there, Max. A philosophy of life, mm -hmm. right? I love this uh, incredible statement from Ellen White in the book Education. She says the whole body is designed for action. Mm -hmm. Well, then move it, yeah. right? Like if the body's designed for action, then go use it. Whether that's paddling for you, or surfing for you, or climbing for you, or kayaking for you, or whatever that thing is that you do, cycling, hiking, doesn't really matter what it is, mm. but when you benefit your body, you benefit your mind, when you benefit your mind, you benefit your spirit, when you benefit your spirit, you benefit your church, your community, your family, yeah. 
So it's incredible. I, th- I think that's good language that you use there, a philosophy of life. As we kind of wrap up this, uh, this program, I just, my last question is, and I don't know if this is the correct terminology, but do you have like a Moby Dick in your life, a person, uh, a, a celebrity, or somebody that you want to convert that you think about all the time and, you, and you're not able, you haven't been able to, to get there yet? Wow, that's <laughs> a great question. Um, but why a Moby Dick? Why, why do you use that language well, there? Well, uh, just, just this kind of person that you've tried to maybe, uh, I don't know. Get. The white get. whale. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tried to get. Um, not necessarily. Right. I mean, you could say like the various members of my family. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I have two brothers and two sisters. They're all beautiful people. I'm particularly close to my younger brother and my younger sister. I would love to see them become committed followers of Jesus that take scripture seriously. I think my sister is on that journey, my younger sister, Elizabeth. Um, My brothers, my younger brother is just one of the best people I've ever met. I'm trying right now to just live a life that they will find attractive, Mm -hmm. right? Like I just want to radiate the goodness of God and the love of Jesus to those around me so that we're not talking about obligation, we're talking about opportunity. Mm -hmm. I feel like we too often communicate the essence of the religious experience in terms of obligation, yeah. why not opportunity, mm. right? Like you have an opportunity to live your best life with Jesus. You have a, you, you with me? Yeah. And another thing we often do is we communicate about the continuity of things rather than the content of things. Mm. You should keep Sabbath. You should eat this way. Okay. I'm not denying that there is a responsible duty-based element but the content is so much more than just obligation for obligation's sake. Like right. God wants us to live our best life. Mm. And so I feel like, Kendra, if, if I'm living my best life, I'm hopeful, you know, to the glory of God, that those people in my life that I would love to see come across will be attracted to Christ in me, right? Like Isaiah 60, the, the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee mm. and his glory will be seen upon thee. Now, in terms of like a celebrity I think it would be incredible if somebody like Elon Musk could yeah. become a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Um, we'll be praying for Elon. Pray for Elon <laughs> Musk, and, and that Start would just be awesome to see one. Or Jordan Peterson, somebody like that. You yeah. know, one of these guys that's got a lot of real estate in the public eye that could just become a committed, passionate, you know, uh, non compromising follower of Jesus. That would be awesome. Mm. Stay tuned for next week's program as we continue to explore theological conversations in the context of ministry and a life of faith. Once again, we'd like to thank our guest as well as the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. On whatever program you're listening on, be sure to comment, like, and subscribe. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week.